You need the wisdom. Don't leave home without it. As we've said before, the book of Proverbs, a lot of scholars believe that the book actually was a textbook. And that textbook was used in the school of training for young men. And that wisdom was, was uh, dispensed by these wise old sages who taught these young men the wisdom that they needed to know for the living of life. So this morning, we're going to focus a little bit on what it means to tame the tongue. You know, Proverbs has a lot to say about taming the tongue. Now, I'm confident that there's an old saying that you'll be able to fill in the blank with. I'm just going to see how far I have to go before you can join me. You ready? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me or harm us. You knew it, didn't you? It kind of sounds like it ought to be one of the Proverbs, doesn't it? Surely it's in one of these 31 chapters of, of Proverbs. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. You know, we, we're told that from childhood. At least I heard it as a kid. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. You know, um, you move into adulthood and even in childhood, and you find out just the opposite. Words can do great harm if we speak them to people in certain ways, if we lie, if we gossip, if we offer harmful criticism, it really does have the power to hurt us and to do damage to us. And it can do great harm to others who are in the system that we call the work system or the home system or the church system or other organizations that we're part of. The fact is, the tongue is a difficult member of our body to tame, no doubt about it. And you know, in this day and age in which we live, sometimes words are transmitted to keyboards, the keyboards of our computers, the keyboards of other devices by way of our fingers. So it's not only mouths and lips and tongues that can do danger to others, but sometimes our fingers can do harm. You know, I really think this is true sometimes. People say things in writing that they would never say to someone else's face. And this day and age of social media gives us more opportunity to witness this all the time. You know, the scriptural invitation is that when we have something that we need to settle with someone, we do it eyeball to eyeball and face to face. You read Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Read Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. And Jesus' command, not suggestion, Jesus' command to us is to go to someone and go to that person face to face and settle whatever matter is between us. When we go face to face, I think Jesus understood the psychology behind it. You know, when you communicate with someone, did you realize that under 10% of the communication is the content of your words, either spoken or written? The remaining 90 plus percent of your communication to someone, the remaining 90% is nonverbal. So it is your facial expression. It is your body language. It is your hand gestures. It is the tone 
of the words that you speak that communicates to someone. You know, so for instance, if I were to look at Michael for a moment and I were to say, and by the way, Michael and I were comparing suits this morning, we think that uh, we're pretty close. We, we both got the memo for this morning about what suit to wear. So if I were to look at Michael's suit and I were to say, Michael, that is a sharp-looking suit. You look good in that this morning. I've communicated one thing to him. But if I say, well, Michael, that's a really good-looking suit this morning. You really look sharp in it. And see, I can say that because i got the same suit on, so I'd either be praising him or criticizing it. I've communicated two different things to Michael just by the tone of my, my, my voice and my body language. So Jesus knew what he was talking about. He knew that we should go to people to handle things, and that's why not only do we have to tame the tongue, the mouth, the lips, but in this day in which we live, we've got to tame the fingers. Because many times we communicate things in language, in written form to people, and they can't read our body language, so they can't fully tell what we're trying to say to them. We have to be very careful in that communication. So, let's take a few moments now and see what the book of Proverbs has to tell us. What does the book of Proverbs have to tell us about how we use our lips and how we use our tongues? Okay, so I want to put some things on the screen. And let's look at some of the wisdom from Proverbs this morning. Because, you know, the tongue has the power to do harm, and the tongue has the power to do good to others, to offer words of praise and encouragement and affirmation. A man who lacks judgment, Proverbs 11, a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor. But a man of understanding holds his tongue. A gossip. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. Then Proverbs 12, reckless words pierce like a sword. Reckless words. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. See, see the contrast? We're going to see this back and forth. Our words may do great damage on one, on one side, but our words also have the power to bless and do uh, great good to others. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only for a moment. The Lord detests lying lips. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. A prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurts out folly. Next scripture. Out of Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools gushes folly. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Then again from Proverbs 15, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. A man finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. The heart of the righteous weighs his answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Then Proverbs 
17, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint and a man of understanding is even tempered. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. And then in Proverbs 18, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Then from Proverbs 25 or Proverbs 21, he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Proverbs 25, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. And then finally, from Proverbs 26, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. Hang on to that because we're going to come back to that in a moment. Like a coating of glaze over earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. Hang on. We're going to go back to this idea of the heart. A malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbors deceit. Now let's keep this up here for just a moment because I want you to see that Proverbs 26 really does go literally to the heart of the matter because the fact is that we're going to have to go to the human heart if we're going to tame the tongue and the mouth and the lips and even the fingers. You see, until the heart is tamed, a malicious man disguises himself with his lips, that last sentence, but in his heart he harbors deceit. Thank you for putting that on the screen this morning. You see, in Hebrew thinking, Hebrew thinking, the heart is more than just the seat of emotions. In Hebrew thinking, the heart is the command center. In Hebrew thinking, the heart is the place where decisions are made, where choices are elected. It's the place of the will. So that's why the scripture is saying you got to go to the heart until the heart is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we call that transformation of the heart sanctification. You've heard that fancy biblical word. The word sanctification means to be set apart, to be made mature, to be made holy. It's the maturing, it's the growing process of the Christian. It's the part where you grow more and more so you start to look like Jesus. You start to act like him, talk like him, think like him, have his attitude and his heart. So until the heart is transformed, then there's a good chance that our mouth, our lips, our tongue, and even our fingers will be largely out of control. And we'll keep those impaired mouths and tongues and lips and fingers active. And unfortunately, they will serve to tear people down more so than to build them up and encourage them, which is what the Scripture invites us to do. I heard a story 
several weeks ago. I was, uh, we were away worshiping at another congregation when I was off one Sunday. It's the story about a new rabbi. New rabbi, he comes to this synagogue, and he's trying to learn the ways of the synagogue. So he's observing very carefully what's going on, because you know every organization, it doesn't matter if it's a synagogue or a church, it could be a school system, a work system, certainly families, every groupings of people have their own traditions. They have their own culture. They have their own way of doing things. They have their own DNA. So this new rabbi has come into this synagogue system, and he's asking a lot of questions, but most important of all, he's watching. He's observing what's going on in the life of the synagogue, and he notices from the first Sabbath day in which he's leading synagogue worship that when it comes to the time to read the Torah, the law of the Jewish people, when the Torah reading takes place, he notices immediately, and of course they've all grouped themselves, that one side of the congregation stands for the reading of the Torah. And the other side of the congregation remains seated for the reading of the Torah. And he's scratching his head trying to figure out why is this the case. And those on this side who stand for the reading of the Torah, they do so with a proud and haughty look. Could you all give me a proud and haughty look for just a quick second? There you go. That's perfect. Joe, you're smiling. That is not a proud and haughty look. Uh, I'm seeing other smiles. I need a proud and haughty look from you folks. Very judgmental. You're standing. You're looking down on the other side because of the tradition of the synagogue is to stand when we read the Torah. But this side over here is seated during the reading of the Torah. And they also are gloating and glowering and looking back on the other side with prideful looks and very judgmental looks. Could you all give me some judgmental looks, please? No, I'm seeing some smile. I need some really judgmental and prideful looks from this side now. So the, the, the rabbi is noticing what's going on, and he's noticing that they don't like each other very much, that they're angry with each other, that they're at odds with each other over either the standing or the sitting of the reading of the Torah. So, so he goes to some of the key leaders. He gets them all in a room. And he says, I need to know what is the tradition of our synagogue when Torah is read. Do, do you stand or do you sit? And half the room raised their hands and they said, the tradition of our synagogue is to stand when Torah is read. We stand in respect to the law. We stand in reverence of the law. We stand with the law when Torah is read to indicate our love and our reverence for it. But the other half of the key leaders of the synagogue said, no, 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 that's not our tradition. Our tradition is to sit when Torah is read. We sit under the law. We sit to absorb the law. We sit to let the, the law uh, mediate and integrate itself into us. We sit in honor and in reverence of the law. That is the tradition of our synagogue. So this poor new rabbi, he, he's really confused now. So he thinks to himself, I need to go to somebody who's got some really deep institutional memory. And he knows that there's a former rabbi of the, of the synagogue who's now retired and he's living in the retirement center. He's living there in the Shalom Community Center. So he goes down. He goes to the Shalom Community Center. 
he goes to the front desk. He finds out where the rabbi's room is, and he walks down to the room, and he knocks on the door, and he introduces himself, and he goes in, and he sits down with the rabbi, and he says, Rabbi, I have a question to ask you. I need to know, is the tradition of our synagogue to stand when Torah is read? And the rabbi says, no, 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 that is not our tradition. And the new rabbi says, oh, thank you so much. That is such a relief to know that the tradition of our synagogue is to sit when Torah is read. And the old retired rabbi says, no, 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 that is not our tradition. And the poor new rabbi is really confused now. He doesn't know what to think, and he says, well, I just don't understand it. Half of our synagogue stands when Torah is read, the other half sits when Torah is read, and they're all angry with each other, and they're all fighting and feuding with each other over it. And the old rabbi says, that is our tradition. <laughs> that is our tradition. Folks, the biblical tradition is to build each other up with our words, with our lips, with our mouths, and even with our fingers. That is the biblical tradition. Not to lie, not to gossip, not to tear each other down, but to build each other up. James chapter 3 in the New Testament, 9 and 10 verses, reads, With the tongue we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, my brothers this should not be so, says the writer of James. So folks, let's make sure that our tradition at Oakmont is not about fighting and feuding with each other. It's not about cursing and criticism. It's about the transformation of the heart. It's about sanctification. Because we know until the heart changes, the mouth and the tongue and the lips and the fingers will not change. And on this Sunday in which we are installing new deacons, I need the aid of you to be a part of the team, along with our other deacons, that we set the pace of offering words of praise and gratitude and encouragement and building each other up, those words of love and encouragement and those words of praise to our God. That should be our tradition.